As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Well, there cuts it back. McTominay and Beckhorster score now. 4-1. And you'd have to say, apart from that Beckhorst goal, which means so much to him, what a fantastic piece of play by the sub Palestri. He's had a couple of chances tonight. Listen to this draw now. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and well, that was a bit more like it wasn't it? We're recording uh, just an hour or so after Manchester United's 4-1 win in the first leg of their last 16 tie in the Europa League against Real Betis. Karl Anker is still inside Old Trafford. Andy Mitten's been keeping a close eye on matters from his home in Barcelona. Hello gentlemen, Karl I'll start with you, you were there. Um, that was exactly what the doctor ordered wasn't it? It took a while to get there. First half was a little scrappier than I wanted. Uh, and the second half was, was quite sensible and straightforward. That was nice. Uh, Ten Hag cut a uh, different figure. And that's just not because he was wearing a woolly hat. But in the end, I think everyone was quite happy with the, with the result. Yeah, I can see he got the grey hat memo like Mr. Anker did as well. Love the little beanie hat. It has been snowing in Manchester today, so it's pretty fair enough to, to wear a, a woolly hat, definitely. Uh, Andy, any sign of Anfield in that performance in that, in that first half? Um, Laurie Whitwell's been writing about the reaction to that debacle on Sunday and, and what exactly went down in the squad. What did you see in that team tonight? I saw a team which wanted to avenge an atrocious performance, especially in the second half at Anfield, and, and were given a chance to do that. If the manager would have made six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven changes, then he could have been forgiven. But he went with the same team, and most of them, but not all of them, because I think there were a few poor performances in the first half, have indicated that decision. I thought Manchester United were much better in the second half against a, a competent Real Betis side who looked a bit of a danger in the first half. But it was just really important that United did. What the team have done after previous setbacks this season and won the match. And to do that by scoring some really good goals, 
putting the team in a very strong position ahead of the game in Seville next week was was really important. Yeah, Carl, in that first half, you felt like the confidence was slowly coming back and emphasis on slowly. I mean, in possession, near our goal, I was quite worried at, at several different moments. It felt like the confidence had evaporated from David De Gea, for example. Yeah, it was a strange one, considering United went a goal ahead in the 6th, 7th minute for Marcus Rashford. You thought, oh, this is this is all over. First 20 minutes, and suddenly it was up. But Betis had a competent, as Andy said, front press. The, the three went to, to pressure Dalovaran uh, and Lissandro Martinez any time they tried to build from the back. And it was pretty shaky. Dalo again, I don't want to go too harsh on him because he, he had an injury after the World Cup, but he hasn't hit the heights as he did in the first chunk of the season. Rafael Varane is safe, safety first when he passes. And it took a little bit of a shake of the hips from Martinez to, to get past, again, just a competent press. And I think that troubled United and it caused a lot of really bad kicking from David De Gea. Really bad. Yeah, he put United in several problems, didn't he, really? They were quite lucky in the end not to go into the break behind, actually, after... Uh, hitting the post rail betters. We'll talk more then about tonight and about the display and all the different talking points uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. But I, I just want to talk a little bit more about the reaction since Sunday, Andy, if we can. Um, I mentioned Laurie's piece on The Athletic. He detailed the silence in the dressing room after the game, listening to the Liverpool celebrations, a 9am full and frank video session. But I think beyond... Manchester United, the reaction has been remarkable to Sunday, hasn't it? What have you made of it all? I think when Liverpool beat Manchester United 7-0, there's always going to be a reaction that goes even beyond just football fans. Yeah. It's it's such a huge game and I don't think that's personal to Manchester United. I think it would have been exactly the same if it was the, if it was the other way around. It's such a freak scoreline and Jurgen Klopp used the word freak that Attention is pricked up when they see that and even someone who's not into football will go, what on earth has happened there? And that's why it became headline news. Um, My phone just lit up and didn't stop all day Monday with the people you would expect, but also the people who maybe you wouldn't expect. It It became a mainstream news story and people wanted to know why. And they wanted an explanation as to why that had happened. And then you've got the people who are really into football. There were so many tangents to pick up and pick off. Bruno Fernandes got a lot of criticism, for example. And I think the way that fans are asked to communicate now through social media, algorithms push people to make sort of knee-jerk and extreme reactions. They're the ones which get amplified rather than uh, reactions which are which are more balanced. Um, I went right out from the start and said, "Just hold your horses a bit." Clearly, it's a, h- a horrific result. It is one which is going to be in record books. It is going to be thrown in the face of Manchester United fans for a long, long time. But still, been a good season. The manager's still a very good manager. I felt that his team could bounce back, and they have done. I think the players were fuming. When Manchester United lose, it tends to be away from home because the form at Old Trafford is so good. And when the team lose, it tends to be a spectacular loss. Conceding six at City, conceding seven at Liverpool. What's the next away game? Is that going to be eight? 
because <laughs> the away form it is a bit of a worry, but it's still miles better than Liverpool's, for example. I just see a team that is still coming together. And the manager, when we spoke to him in December, said, yeah, of course I need a centre-forward. It's pretty clear to see which parts of this team need strengthening. But he's nine months into the job. I would have settled for where Manchester United are right now, mid-March, at the start of the season, with a cup, same with the league position. But yeah, it hurts to lose against your biggest rivals, let alone to concede so so many goals. But I wasn't as troubled by it as maybe some other defeats, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense because I think we all felt that in a way. Um, what I find fascinating about weeks like this is that there's a lot of exterior noise about what Manchester United fans should feel about Manchester United. And it always sort of brings a wry smile to my face. Bruno Fernandes should be stripped to the captaincy. Vout Veghorst should never be allowed inside Old Trafford again after touching a sign, whatever the reasons were for it. You know, everyone sort of tells United fans, Carl, what to think in these circumstances, don't they? And what, what they should be thinking is, is no one else's business, really, is it? Yeah, I think any, any Manchester United fan has probably had to, you know, deal with a bit of banter and a couple of jibes this week. I know I got a couple of jokes when I walked, went into the gym Well, you, you, this week. You, expect you know, that, don't you? Uh, yeah. So you're talking about how you know, the team turned up at Monday at nine o'clock. The report said that Ten Hag was there two hours early. So I got a text message going, you mean he turned up at 7am? And you're like, oh, <laughs> all right, yeah, fair enough. You've, you've done me here. And there's there's been a lot of, you've done me here. And there has been an exaggeration from what people want United to do. Because... As Andy says, algorithms and whatever, people like it when Manchester United lose, okay? Of course, All right? yeah. there was a de- There's a devil on the badge and Manchester United won a bucket load of trophies in the 90s and a lot of people still haven't got over that. So they really like it when this football team is in a mess. And for a long, long, long time last season, it looked like this team was in a mess. And Ten Hag's come up, he's cleaned up a lot of stuff, but when things go wrong for Ten Hag's United, they go really, really wrong. So then you get a lot of people who've been sat on tweets, jokes or whatever for three or four months going oh sweet now I can finally say that thing I've wanted to say about Luke Shaw oh now I can finally say that thing I wanted to say about Bruno Fernandes oh I've been waiting to say something about Ralph Vecos and it all came out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday yeah but they can't say what they want about those people because Andy Mitten will be there with his keyboard attacking people on Twitter won't he fair enough he was there I, was, I went for a long walk I, I didn't want to get involved in half of that stuff I think it was really good this second half performance I also think it is there was visible catharsis in Valt Veghorst's face in particular after the fourth goal. He, he sort of punched the air, did a knee slide, collapsed, looked like he wanted to cry and he was embraced by all of his teammates. And that felt like it... Wasn't that just because he's missed about 400 chances That's in a Manchester United shirt though? But I think if you think about... Yeah, I think the the United players that got the biggest criticism, I mean, no one covered themselves in glory on Sunday, but there was a lot of ire directed at Bruno Fernandes' performance. He, yes, gets a goal, gets an assist today. There was a lot of, what on earth is Anthony there for? He's a this and this and this and a fidget spinner. Gets himself a goal against Real Betis. A lot of talk about Verkos being about cart horse, whatever. And he gets himself a goal. So, uh, I mean, from the writing sense, my piece writes itself. Everyone who yelled that turned out good on Thursday. So, there's that. But I think that's the sort of thing Ten Hag will want to push in the dressing room as well. Let's just home in on Valt Veghorst for a moment, Andy, because like Carl said, he was one of the people who got 
a lot of criticism after the weekend. It wasn't just for his display, actually. It was for a moment of touching the This Is Anfield sign. If you're not sure what the This Is Anfield sign is or you've got no idea why it might be an issue for a Manchester United player to touch it, Mark Critchley, Critch, our mate, did a brilliant article on The Athletic explaining the significance of it. Um, were you bothered, Andy, that he, he did that? Whether he needed to explain it was a joke or not? I don't know. What do you think? Scouse Vegost. <laughs> I don't think it's... We were asking if there'd been any YSB chance at Old Trafford tonight in his direction, even in jest a little bit. It's, it's not like United fans to miss a trick like that. I just don't think it's a, it's a good look. And Scouse Val? His explanation, look, he, he clearly likes Liverpool as a kid and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer clearly liked Liverpool when he was a kid as well. Um, it's just a bit more salt into the wounds of what happened on Sunday. He's going to be judged primarily at Manchester United by by how many goals he scored. And against Betis, things were not going his way. And you could I, I just felt the tide was turning against him in terms of, it's all right, working hard. You've got to score goals. And there were two or three clear chances, I think, against Betis when he should have done better and should have probably scored. He had a very good last 10 minutes to redeem himself. He did a really good pass into Anthony. And then when he scored about eight or nine minutes from the end, he, he was clearly delighted. And I think there were echoes of Forland scoring after a long time at Old Trafford. People wanted him to score. People wanted him to do well. When we spoke to him at Wembley only last week, but it seems so long ago, doesn't it? Because so much is happening. I saw the reaction to that and people can see merit in him, but goal scorers have to score and I think Manchester United need a top class number nine and I think players like Marcus Rashford will be even better with a top class number nine and I don't think that Falfegost is a top class number nine. I understand why he came in. He's starting every single week. Without him, I think Manchester United would have been weaker because Anthony Martial is clearly not fit to, to, to play matches. I'm just pleased that he, he, he got the goal. Touching the Anfield sign to wind up Van Dijk, that just doesn't stack up to me. I think that he's seen it and thought, I used to be a Liverpool fan, I'm going to touch that because that's what everyone else did. It's not a massive issue to me, but it's not a good look either. No, it's not very streetwise, is it, in a sense? Nah. Um, now, I think he should have been using his eye to rip it down. That would have won. <laughs> that, that would have probably been better under the circumstances, wouldn't it? Just on Vegos, actually... You, you were saying there about him playing... He started all 15 matches since he's been here. And, and on Martial, actually. Martial's only played 27 minutes since Veghorst arrived at the club. Now, that's not because Veghorst is keeping him out of the team, necessarily. That's more because he's had such severe issues with his fitness. But he's been a really important addition for Manchester United, even if the goals haven't exactly flowed. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? 
FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you want to know more, about the match tonight, Carl's piece is going to be up on The Athletic by the time this podcast reaches your ears. If you want to read more about the reaction to Sunday, Laurie's piece is on there, as I said, as well. Remember that offer of £1.99 a month for a year when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But there's also an intriguing Manchester United and Real Betis piece that you've written, Andy, about someone who has been dubbed Don Patricio. It's an amazing story. And I spent the tail end of last week digging into it and speaking to people in Seville and Barcelona and Dublin and London. And I've known about this story for a long time. I know that a a film had been made about it. I know that there's a really committed group of people trying to raise awareness of someone who'd been, been forgotten, despite being Manchester United's captain, managing Barcelona and winning Real Betis' only league title. When I dug and dug into it, you just uncover an amazing story and it's there for people to read and there's been a a big feedback to it on The Athletic and people seem to have enjoyed it. But people also saying, I've never heard of this guy, never heard of this story. Well, join the club because he was a Dubliner and some of the most famous names in Irish football had never heard of him either. But in Betis, which is in Seville, as we know, boys, there is a bust of of this man in the club museum. There's almost nothing, uh, there's nothing at Old Trafford. He's remembered much better in Spain and in England, just just completely forgotten about. He died in a pauper's grave. There was one person at his funeral, his brother. He died an alcoholic, he was destitute. He was a very successful football manager, but he wasn't always a very good person. I think it's a, a really interesting story, but There's going to be a couple of thousand United fans going to Seville, probably in much more comfortable circumstances, given the the four-goal score at Old Trafford. I thought the Betis fans who came to Old Trafford, I spoke to loads of them, they were so looking forward to it and they were sending me pictures from inside the ground and they were loud, they were proud. They got absolutely soaked and sleeted on it. It was absolutely freezing for them. But I think they've enjoyed um, their European run. They'd not actually lost a game in the Europa League until that time at Manchester United, but their average home crowd's 51,000. They're a massive, massive club and not really well known outside of Spain. But I do like the fact that, A, I predicted the best draw on a previous podcast, so I'm going to go for another prediction next week from the stadium in Seville. People can bet on that if they want. <laughs> and, and B, that Manchester United have finally played a game against Real Betis because two great clubs, it's nice that they finally met. I just want to point out, Andy has defined Real Betis as a massive team, not a good side. Slight distinction in the Andy Mitten dictionary there. Uh, and there was a little bit of fan trouble in Old Trafford after the third and fourth goals. Uh, police had to come in as uh, some of the away fans didn't take enjoy the taunts from Manchester United fans saying, you see United, you can sling your rock. 
Uh, one gentleman in particular removed his belt and then tried climbing over the hoarding. Old school. Tried climbing over the hoarding to, to sort of administer some lashes before the police intervened and ejected him. So a little bit of an unsavoury moment. I, I know of the Real Betis fans I saw before kickoff, you know, around the oyster bars, as the Spanish football fans often do, and on the tram in were, were in boisterous mood. Uh, they were flashing a lot of seven with their fingers. To United fans as they went, I, I don't think any United fans will be flashing four. We're we're a bit different, a bit different. We'll save that for next week. They should have said it was eight eight <laughs> o'clock kickoff. I don't know why they were confused by that. It's good how all the away fans in from European teams they're all sort of shepherded informally to stand outside the old Wellington Sinclair's Oyster Bar. And that's where the Betis fans were. My dad was furious that he couldn't get in there when the Barcelona fans were there. Yeah. Um, when they came to Manchester, he wanted he wanted to be part of it. And they're like, no, no, no one who's not a Barcelona fan. He's like, well, I can be a Barcelona fan if you let me in the bar. That's fine. <laughs> used to do a, a good pint. I had my first ever pint in there, actually. Oh. Carl mentioned the trouble there with the Betis fans. There was actually trouble with Barcelona fans a couple of weeks ago. It was after the game and I filmed a bit of it. And I thought, should I put this on social media? And I thought, I know what, I can't be bothered with all the grief that's going to come. But it kicked off between stewards and Barcelona fans a couple of weeks ago. They all go to sort of Sinclair's. That was my first local in Manchester, that. All my mates got banned there from there (laughs) when we were 17, except me. Because the landlord, who was a massive Portsmouth fan, who went home and away with Portsmouth in England, he liked me because he liked talking to me about football. So I had a situation... (laughs) where loads of us would go to watch Manchester United home and away. And we'd go back to Sinclair's after the match and they were just young kids and a sniff of alcohol obviously got the better of him. So they were all banned apart from me. Because <laughs> you were mates with the landlord for talking football with the him. The landlord just liked me, yeah. So um, yeah. Yeah, I remember having my 18th and 19th birthdays in there. Pub landlords do like Andy Mitten, I will tell you this. There was... Uh... Earlier on, during pre-season, in fact, where I, I wanted to watch one of United's pre-season games, but I couldn't uh, get MUTV. I found a pub in the northern quarter, and the pub landlord was kind of like, oh, well, you know, we're not really thinking of show, showing the game. Not many people turn up, but, oh, well, work for the athletic. I quite like to cover the game. He's like, oh, so do you know Andy Mitten? I went, yeah. It's like dropping a medical credit card. He's like, yeah, hey, you can come in. It's fine. We'll Just send us an email. You'll be grand. So, yeah, pub landlords. They like Andy Mitten. Yeah, and housewives' favourite as well, um, I've heard. So, But we'll talk about that another time, maybe. Let's go back to the game tonight, then. This is Eric Ten Hag speaking about two players in Wout Weghorst and Bruno Fernandes who needed those goals. And he was so close many times already. And he created so many chances and goals for, for others by making space. And now he has his goal, so he deserved it. And by Bruno, I think he was brilliant today. Uh, he lead the team. Uh, from the first minute uh, by his game uh, in possession, uh, make the rhythm of the game and then score a goal. Um, so I'm happy. Yeah, he will be happy because those two needed those goals, not just because of what had happened at, against Liverpool, but also their form in front of goal of late. And you can add in as well Anthony for that too. Marcus Rashford has got now 26 goals in all competitions this season. He's scored 24 in European competition for Manchester United, which puts him level overall with Cristiano Ronaldo. Only five players in Manchester United's entire history have scored more goals in Europe than Marcus Rashford, which is a brilliant achievement for him. And he'll add to it, I'm sure. But in terms of the others, Bruno Fernandes before tonight had one goal in 12. Anthony before tonight had one goal in 12. Valt Weghorst before tonight had one goal in 14. They're very lucky to be playing alongside Marcus Rashford, aren't they, Andy? 
They are. Marcus is... This is his best season by a long way. He scored five last year. The, the, the transformation from last season, especially the end of last season to now, it's, it's huge. And even this season, while Cristiano Ronaldo was still at the club, I think he only scored three in his first 13 league matches. It's all come post-World Cup. Now, when he started playing in the World Cup, that was his first game for England in, in 15 games. He hadn't played one minute for England since that, that penalty in the finals of the Euros at Wembley. And he had a good World Cup. I could talk about him all night. He's The things that he's doing well, the things that he's added to his game. I spoke to different coaches about him this week. One of them said, you know what? He can be even better. He said, imagine if he had a top number nine next to him, how good he would be. Scoring goals with his head, physically. I know he got told to bully players this season. We've seen evidence of that. There's a couple of really interesting goals this season. Wolves away and Nottingham Forest away when he ran from his own half. He, he, he's added variety to his goals. Brilliant to watch him play. I thought he took that goal really well against Real Betis. Betis were missing three of the best players, I should say that as well. One of them was kept on the bench, um, Borja Iglesias, who'll probably start next week. He's the main centre-forward. One of them came off the bench as well. Another one, Sergio Canales. And, and Fekir, who is the best player, he, he's injured. But the fact that Marcus is doing it so consistently, I think there's now been 22 matches since the, the World Cup. It's just every couple of days. <laughs> game, 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 game. And he's doing it, and if he can carry that on to the end of this season, and he's in an extremely strong position to re renegotiate his contract. Yeah, and to be in the conversation for Footballer of the Year as well. He's done he's yeah. done that well. Um, Carla said a moment ago about the other three being lucky to play with him. I mean because of their relative goal droughts that they've been sustaining. They've not even been a talking point because of Rashford's form, have they? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I... So Ten Hag did a, an extra long post-game press conference because it's going to have two embargo sections. So unfortunately, I can't talk about all of it with you. But... I'll ring you tomorrow at half past one. That's the one. I did ask him about Anthony and I said, well, Anthony scored in back-to-back -back Europa League games at Old Trafford now. Uh, and I was curious as to whether or not Ten Hag thought European football gave Anthony a different bit of boost compared to Premier League football where defenders might be a bit quicker. More room to cut inside in Europe, is there? That was my uh, hypothesis, you know. Uh, Ten Hag didn't seem to really go for it uh, and said, you know, Anthony's just Anthony. And it's more about... <laughs> In, you know, he said he wanted more from Anthony's first half. He said he thought he could have done more and got into better positions, uh, but he improved in the second half. I also think that improvement in the second half probably came from Wan-Bissaka, which is weird to say, but Wan-Bissaka coming on for Dallow, clamped down that right-hand side, and he's got a decent give-and-go with Bruno Fernandes and one-twos, which means Bruno drifts out a bit further and gets more crosses in. And I think that helps not just Anthony, who then has more space, but also Veghorst, who's like, oh, crosses. I'm not great at winning crosses, but hey, someone's delivering them in. I do think why I never quite went for the T word on this podcast is if you look at that front three or front four of Manchester United, it is Marcus Rashford mostly, whereas Manchester City and Arsenal have more goal scoring threats. But also, I think the good thing is Ten Hag can find solutions still, you know. I'd, there was a point before the World Cup where Aaron Wan-Bissaka was never going to play a game for Manchester United again. And look, Aaron Wan-Bissaka was the decisive attacking substitution in the second half of a Europa League round of 16 game. How does he keep doing this? I think it's right to mention him because I, I thought he did he did really well. And that link up with Anthony is good. And 
The last time Manchester United played Real Betis in that friendly in December, Aaron Wambasaka's Manchester United career looked dead. It really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was on that tour. Yeah, that's true. Fifteen minutes in to the, that first game in Cadiz, people were going, "Isn't he supposed to be the first team here?" I think someone else we should mention a substitute who did well was Facundo Palestre. He'd been on the pitch, for, I think it was thirteen seconds. And he took the ball round, round the long way. He sort of went behind the back of F stand and the Stretford end. Then he came back in and he put a lovely ball in. I, I tweeted that he's got something. And what is that? Well, he's, he's very traditional. He's got a very low centre of gravity. He's very fast. He's an exciting player as well. And he had a shot himself. I know he slipped into a pretty heavy challenge against um, Luis Felipe. But I like what I see of Facundo Palestre in the snatches of what we get to see of him. And he hasn't had many minutes. And I don't know if he's ready to play more minutes. But what I do know is I like what I see when he comes on. Yeah, he was bright when he came on against Leeds yeah, as well, wasn't he? He? Was. Um, he helped change that game from 2-0 down to 2 all. The good thing about Palestri and Anthony, and Ten Hag, I asked Ten Hag about this after Nottingham Forest's first leg, is they both want to do the opposite. Yeah. So Anthony comes on, he's always gonna, he wants to cut inside on left foot every single time. Whereas, as Andy said, for the almost assist that became Vekos' goal. Palestri wants to go outside every single time. So I'm not sure if Palestri is ready to start or, or will be a starting player in what might be a rotated team in the second leg. But Palestri for on for half an hour after the defenders got used to Anthony cutting inside all the time is a nice variance. And it's also something that Ten Hag talks about a lot. It's not so much the substitution is better, but if the substitute does something the first person doesn't do always softened you up for yeah it, it's sort of quite refreshing to watch actually as well after enduring 70 odd minutes of watching Anthony again <laughs> he's got a brilliant goal I can't criticise him for that but uh, my goodness he does frustrate me at times he is an enigma he had a moment in the first half where but why didn't he square it for that chance just after I just it's just things like that he had a, he had a moment just of use fun. your right foot mate he had a moment in the first half where ball in transition gets it and he sort of like did a shimmy with his with his shoulders so the defender went, oh, you cut inside. And he didn't. And went outside. And went, ooh, ooh. Go on, lad. Went down the byline. Got into the penalty area. And I'm like, that's it. Just, you know, it's there. Just sweep it in your right foot. Nice low and swing. And he just cut inside anyway. And the thing got blocked. And I was like, oh. He had a little moment on the left wing, Carl, as well, he did. didn't he? he did. Where he actually put in a couple of half-decent crosses with his left foot from the left side, yeah. which was different. Yeah, look at that. Another player United have bought that might actually be better on the left side. No, <laughs> no. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't get into that. Um, this is quite perverse to bring up after conceding six in the second half at Anfield at the weekend, but Manchester United haven't half become a second-half team, Andy Mitten. 22 of the last 27 goals they've scored have come after the break. That's remarkable. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that Tenar gives a chance to some players who haven't probably fully established themselves and they don't do well and his substitutes come on. Tonight's a good example of it. Aaron Wambasaka was was an upgrade on Diogo Dalot and I think his subs make an impact. I think the key long-term is to getting them players who he's bringing on and doing very well is to have them starting and playing well in the first half. They're sussing opponents out as well. I think we've um, started, just actually started really well tonight. And then Real Betis finished the, the first half very strongly. But there's some quirks with the statistics this season, which show to me a team that is, is still coming together. You look at the way that the goals have been conceded away from home. A huge number of them have come in five matches. And 
at home, I think United have got the best defence in the league. United's home form is as good as anybody's. But when you're conceding, you can actually say sixes and sevens, can't you? Because United have conceded six and have conceded seven. You know, as that Liverpool defeat starts to soak in, I'm just thinking now, really good to beat Liverpool Anfield one day. I think that would be the measure. (laughs) I've been like really measured and sensible about the whole thing. Until now. I can remember when Manchester United were good enough to go to Anfield and outplay them and beat them, then you knew Manchester United had a crack inside, but... Now, this will be the week that's remembered because of what happened on Sunday, but to put four past Real Betis, it gives United a cushion next week. I don't think he'll be putting reserves out because A, that's not his style, and B, with the crowd behind him, they could easily get into a very good position. But I think it does give a chance to play someone like Facundo Palestre, who's played in Spain, who knows how the game's played there. Uh, I'm not sure it'll do that because he tends to play same 11, doesn't he? I wouldn't be surprised if the likes of... Garnacho or Scott McTominay started yeah. in Seville slash Betis next week. I've got to do a guide for Seville for the Athletic because we did want a Barcelona just to see how it'd go. And it went really well. People clearly like hard information. So my next few days will be spent doing a guide for the Athletic on Seville where to go. It was really nice with the last one, people sending me pictures going, I've gone to that sandwich stall that you recommended. You're right, the guy really is miserable, but his wife's nice. <laughs> if you've got any tips for Amsterdam, let me know. I'm going to watch an Ajax game later this month. Do you want tips from me for Amsterdam? That's a bit loaded, Carl. What are you saying? <laughs> that I should know Amsterdam? I'm just saying the man who went to Mama Shelter might know Amsterdam pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. I don't know how to follow that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, we've just got enough time then to preview the Carl Anker derby that's taking place this weekend at Old Trafford. Carl, you spent a lot of time on the South Coast, a lot more time than Ruben Sellers has in fairness, who's now the manager of Southampton, which is perhaps a bit of a surprising replacement in the end for Ralph Hasenhutl. I can't actually say Hasenhutl in one breath. I'm quite relieved that he's not a Premier League manager anymore because I'd have to say his name as often. What have you made of Southampton under Sellers? They've had some... Interesting results, haven't they, shall we say, good and bad? Yeah, so the, the victories over Leicester and Chelsea have been Hassan esque So taking it back to bases, high-pressing football, James Ward-Prowse set pieces. The other games where they haven't got the ball to Ward-Prowse, they don't really have a repeatable style of playing football. I don't think many Southampton fans will listen to this podcast, so I'm going to stink this out right now. They look like they're going to get relegated this season. Oof. I'm also going to stink this out right now because I don't think any more are listening to They're switched off. I think one or two players in the Southampton squad might be of interest to Ten Hag in the summer. Yeah? One of them is not James Ward-Prowse. Anyway. You think they're going down, Carl? Yeah, I think the run they had under the very eccentric Nathan Jones has left it far too late for them to put enough numbers on the board to stay up. I forgot about and Nathan Jones. 
<laughs> I will never forget Nathan. But there's only three points between the bottom six teams. I, uh, so I look at that Southampton team and they've got a lot of very interesting young prospects, but they've got someone in Gavin Bazuno who is statistically not quite there as a Premier League goalkeeper. Uh, Mohamed Salisu, I think, is a very good left-footed centre-back. I watch him a lot for Ghana. Is prone to erratic spells. He actually plays better when he plays against bigger teams. The other defenders they've got, Balakotchap and Kalakatakar, are both under-21 internationals. And they play like under-21 internationals. So sometimes look amazing and fantastic. Sometimes, they, yeah, sometimes they've got at. And uh, outside of James Ward-Prowse's set pieces, they don't have a consistent form of chance creation. They've got the tallest striker in the Premier League. So a rare striker who's taller than Vekos, who is... Uh, interesting he scored one of the worst th- uh, hat-tricks you will ever see in Belgian football and they've got another erratic football player in Kadim Sulemana who uh, again I've watched him a lot for Ghana and th- there was a point where I nearly threw my laptop in the wall because he was just very good at getting to the final third very bad at delivering that final third ball if Southampton not to get anything against Manchester United it will be because they press high up the field in the same way they have in the 2-2 draw, where they basically set a trap for Paul Pogba. United should have enough for them. I think United have been troubled by teams that press them high, as we've seen against Robertas, as we saw against Leeds in the 2-2. But there, there's just so many weaknesses in that Southampton team. And again, this might be me having watched them for ages and going, oh no, mate, no, that I think Ten Hag should have a plan for this game to go fairly straightforward. And I do think Manchester United should win and will win. You talked about Southampton fans listening to this podcast. I do know one, Simon Peach, listens to every single one of these podcasts. <laughs> Sorry, Peachy. <laughs> so this is for Simon Peach. Southampton have got a better record in the last three matches than any team in the bottom half of the table. There's only three points separating Bournemouth, who are 20th, and Leicester City, who are 15th. It's really, really tight down there. And if you can pick up a few wins, as they have done, winning two of the last three, and that's hopefully going to become two of the last four, you can jump up. If they're to win at Old Trafford, they go up to 14th, 15th. Don't think it's going to happen. And I know someone who watches Southampton a lot, who was bemoaning pretty much saying what you're saying, which was used to be such a well-run football club. It's really sad that it's come to this. They brought so many talents through, sold most of them to Liverpool. But a couple of them came to Manchester United, didn't they? Luke Shaw, Morgan Schneidlin. I'm pretty indifferent whether I want them to go down or not. I'm just more focused about Manchester United picking up more league points because even though United are seven points clear of Liverpool, stop mentioning Liverpool, stop mentioning the number seven, uh, that could be closed pretty quickly. The, the league table looks pretty comfortable for Manchester United at the moment, but got to be beating Southampton at home. Yeah, I think we all agree with that, don't we, to be fair. Carl, you're getting the finger, aren't you, at Old Trafford, so I better leave it there. We're going to be back, of course, after that Southampton game this weekend. Remember, there is that special podcast price of £1.99 a month for a year when you subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. All the articles that we've talked about on the show today will be on there. But it just leaves me to say, Carl at Old Trafford, thank you very much. Andy over in Spain, thank you very much as well. And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
The Athletic.